The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 393 have a special guest first time guest to the show you can find her work over on Fangraphs and bleed cubby blue i've been really looking forward to this show and um uh, you've probably actually seen her on twitter because she's always at ball games it seems like i'm jealous of the life she lives to be totally honest with you because like I'm, I'm like two hours from a ballpark and stuff and she has two ballparks in her town and she's always going to games and living the dream but enough about what i think Sarah, Sarah Sanchez, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I mean, to be fair, most of the ball games I'm seeing right now are terrible. Uh, I went to the Cubs game last night and watched Corbin Burns strike out 15. And frankly, long about the sixth inning, I was just kind of rooting for history. I was like, I, if the Cubs are going to lose this badly, they might as well strike out 21 times so I can say I was here. Yeah, I was watching your Twitter feed and like, I, I just love your... Uh your sarcastic nature behind it. Cause that's something I could truly respect. I'm a very sarcastic person. And sometimes you just have to embrace <laughs> what's going on and realize, okay, let's, let's just, let's just make this uh, history happen let's, let, at my expense. Let's do it. So I respect that. And you know, one day the Cubs will be better. Like they will be, we all know that. So that's good. Um, I've been through many, many a rough years as well. I never thought I'd see a championship. I know you never did. We've got them. So uh, eventually not everybody can say that. <laughs> that's one thing. So look at those Padres fans. Hey, they got nothing, so you never know. But um, you do work over at Bleed Cubby Blue. You do work at Fangraphs. Which one do you prefer doing, the fantasy side of it or the actual like baseball side of it? Honestly, I, I like doing all of it. I started as a Cubs blogger mainly because um, I'm friends with Al Yellen, and I he had asked me to write something up about the chalk wall that went up outside Wrigley um, when they won the NLCS and were headed to the World Series for the first time in – Oh my God, however many years. Um, 
And I did that and, and the piece did really well. It turned into just sort of a like, hey, do you want to write some stuff sometimes? And I did. Um, I like being able to write about baseball more broadly at Fangraphs as opposed to just Cubs stuff. I mean, I, I shouldn't say just Cubs stuff. At, at BCB, I've had a chance to write about a lot of national coverage issues, but I generally write about them in a way that intersects with the Cubs since we are a Cubs fan community. At Fangraphs, I get to write about all things baseball. I get to look at things like why there are so many no hitters at the start of this season or what's going on with hit by pitches. Um, you know, I admit that I fudged a little bit and looked at Kyle Schwarber's return uh, with his um, with the Nationals when he went on that historic home run tear. And I'm very thrilled to see if he can continue that with the Red Sox. I have long thought that Kyle Schwarber profiles is like a David Ortiz type. And if, if this goes the way I think it's going to go, he's going to go the non-tender to big poppy stardom uh, route with the Red Sox, which will be pretty funny. But so, you know, I, it, I like all of it. Uh, the answer is that it just gives me multiple places where I get to do different types of work. Yeah, I guess the, the easy answer is you're a baseball fan. So you get yeah. to talk baseball. And that's why I, I always tell certain people that like, I knew you, you've done podcasts. So I didn't have to give you the, the pep talk beforehand. But a lot of like first timers, I'm like, hey, we're just talking baseball. Like it's easy. It's all it is. We both love baseball. So it's fun. And that's what you get to do. Either if it's fantasy. And like the thing with fan graphs, it's not all fantasy. That's the beauty of it. Like you, you said, you can kind of cover all the, the nuances of it. So I, I like that quite a bit. And that's where I've gotten to really follow you in the past year or so because I live in my little bubble and I just kind of I, to the detriment of me at times. But then I got I got um, open to, to your work and I, I listened to you on Justin Mason's uh, podcast, who's done so much for my quote unquote fantasy career. And uh, that's when I reached out to you. Then I said, one of these days I need to have you on my show. And then finally, lo and behold, here we are. So I'm glad we're getting to do this. And I promise people we will talk fantasy. But I have to ask one more question. Sure. Um, you said you're at Wrigley on um, last night. And you've probably been hundreds of times because you live there. I, I, I have, I'm jealous of people that can do that. I had a guy's trip uh, a couple of years ago. Actually, it's two of us. But um, we met some other people out there. And the Giants weekend went for like all three games, did the whole Wrigley thing. It was awesome. Like as a baseball fan, the first time you walk through and see it, it's amazing. Now, I want your honest, your honest opinion. Does it does that new new like nuance new song? I can't even speak right now. Does the the loveliness of Wrigley Field ever wear off on you? It doesn't. And and it, it actually doesn't even wear off when the team is not doing particularly well. I So it, it's wild. The first time I went to Wrigley Field, I, I'm from Utah originally, so I never got to see a Cubs game in person until I was literally on my first business trip after college. And um, I went to Wrigley Field by myself because I was just in Chicago for a business trip and the Cubs happened to be in town. It was a very bad Cubs team. Uh, it's like the 2002 Cubs. So the year before they got pretty solid in 2003. And I, I remember having tears in my eyes as I kind of walked up the ramp. Cause it really is just a beautiful site. There's something very unique about the way it's placed in the middle of the city. I remember asking the guy at my hotel, cause I'd never been to Chicago. I was like, how do I get to Wrigley field? He's like, get, get off at the Addison stop. It's right there. I was like, no, no, like I am not from here. I need, I need instructions on what to do after I get off at Addison. He's like, no, you don't. <laughs> I just kind of was like, I was skeptical, but he was right because it is right there. You see it immediately. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I have gone, I don't know, I, I probably go to 15 or 20 games a year just depending on tickets or what I want to see. You know, I'll, I'll a few years ago, Ichiro was chasing down 3,000. There was an off chance he might get it at Wrigley. So I wound up with tickets to that whole Marlins series, just hoping I'd see Ichiro's 3,000 pit 
I did not. He got it in Colorado. Um, but so I just do stuff like that. And since I live in the neighborhood, it's easy. I knew after the pandemic, after not being able to step foot in Wrigley Field for a year, that I was going to walk in and cry. And that it didn't matter if the team won, if they lost, if it was a blowout, whatever, that it was just going to be the most wonderful experience. So I think that it is a special place. I think the only other baseball environment I've been in that is similar is Fenway. I lived in Boston for six years, so I got to go to a handful of games there. I know that that's cliche. I know that there are a lot of people listening to this right now who are like, no, no, PNC is great. Oh my gosh, have you been to the Giants part? I know there are lovely places to see baseball. There is something about being in the middle of a city, knowing that you're at a field where Babe Ruth actually played, where Lou Gehrig played, where where these monsters of history in the game were there as human beings. You know, Wrigley Field is the only ballpark left where Jackie Robinson played a baseball game in the park. He never played at Dodger Stadium in LA. He never got to Fenway. There was no interleague type of stuff then. It is something to behold to know that the largest crowd in the history of Wrigley Field is the day that Jackie Robinson made his debut and that no other baseball park saw him step into the batter's box and have a hit. So uh, it's a lovely place. I strongly recommend it to everyone, even if I at the moment would like to, you know, burn Ricketsville to the ground and wish that they would pay players. But that's I'm sure we'll get into that. Yes, we will. But that's a that Jackie Robinson. Like I'm a diehard baseball fan my entire life, and I know a lot of weird stats. I never knew that was the only place he still played. That that is amazing. And the the, the attendance in Wrigley. That that's some pretty awesome stuff. And I, I echo your sentiments because I'm one of those guys that says I love AT and I call it AT and T still. They change the name every year, so it's AT and T to me. But um, I think it's beautiful. But I did the same thing the first time I walked through the tunnels. We were like behind the the, the Cubs dugout. And I walk up and you see the ivy and you see the scoreboard and like the, the big high rises, well, not high rises, but buildings behind it. It's as a baseball fan, you're just like, whoa, like I got goosebumps thinking about it now. It was just like, it was really cool. It felt super small, like intimate. It was a really cool baseball experience. So I, I, I won't even call you a homer because I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, I love AT&T Park, but Wrigley was, I keep telling people. I'm like, we have to go back. Like, we're older now. We probably, like, experience it more. We won't be hungover all the time. Like, there's things we could do. And so I was like, let's go do this. Fenway's still on my list. I haven't pulled that one off yet. But, yeah. All right. We'll talk about fantasy stuff now. We'll make everybody happy here. But I, I just love chatting baseball, so I had to pick your brain on that one because I am super jealous when I see people going to games all the time. I'm like, ah, I'd love to go do that right now. And, you like, sitting in the bleachers at Wrigley, not much beats that. Um, but let's talk about it. Um, Javi Baez, still – out with a back injury and obviously this is not cubs related so it's a good thing now but um he's missed both doubleheader games on thursday this is an issue that's gonna you know looks like it's gonna hamper him for a little while but they won't put him on the il so if you're a javi Baez owner like what level of concern do you have right now yeah that's a great question i actually have more concern about javi right now than i would have when he was a cub for a critical reason which is i don't trust the way the mets use their il system I think that you saw this with Jacob deGrom earlier. I mean, I actually will take this back a few seasons to the the initial like blaring red alarm in my head when I saw this happen. And I was like, wow, I just cannot with the Mets and how they deal with their pitchers. Um, Do you remember when Noah Syndergaard had like an like arm soreness or something? And so he missed a start and they didn't give him an MRI. He goes out and pitches. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't want one. So they didn't give him one. And he winds up tearing his lat. And I was like, he that is one of your best pitchers. You cannot win baseball games without him playing. I think it was 2016 or 2017. And I was just like, what kind of 
what kind of franchise lets the guy say, nah, I don't want an MRI. Like, I'm, I'm good. I, I just think that's ridiculous. So my concern about Javi has less to do with what the injury is and more to do with how the Mets will manage it. I think that if he had the exact same injury and he was still a Chicago Cub, I would be less worried about it. I think that it is not humorous, like not haha humorous, but like ironic humorous that he, um, you know, people have worried about his swing for years, that his swing was going to be a way for him to tweak an oblique or tweak his back or something. It's just, it's a, it's a, he swings for the moon. He swings for the moon on everything. He swings with his whole body. You think he might corkscrew himself into the ground. It has generally worked out. This is the first time that I'm aware of that he's injured himself on a swing. Um, but so I, I, I am concerned about that. I think that it potentially realizes a danger that was there for a while. And I don't think the Mets have proven themselves as a team that's particularly good at managing injuries. And I, as a Jacob deGrom owner in my, one of my leagues, I, I just that has been a source of frustration for me as a fantasy uh, player. So I, I have some concerns about Javi Baez. I think that if they put him on the IL, we'll at least have a timeline. At the moment, it's just you're, you're kind of hoping. And I, I hate it when you're doing that. Yeah, hoping's the worst. Like, just either pull the pin or, oh, let's do something here. So I'm with you there. And I'm, I have Javi in a few leagues. And it's been very, very stressful, to say the least, on trying to manage that. And you make a good point. We've made fun of the Mets for a long time, that medical staff there. It's just mind-boggling. But you mentioned DeGrom. Like, we don't have to cover it. But for people listening, they said he's supposed to have an MRI hopefully Friday because the inflammation's gone down again so they can reassess when he can start throwing again. So it's that's that's something they've botched a lot, and most of it has come from hitting, which has been great to see as well. So, yeah, Bobachet, he is day to day with shin contusions. Again, he's this is not a back thing. Backs always worry me, but shin contusions is, is an odd one. He played uh, in the doubleheader, had to take the next day off because they're bugging him again. We know in Toronto that they have the turf, and the turf is never good for things like shin con- shin contusions or anything like that. Um, do you have any level of concern with Bobachet, or is this kind of a we're just going to manage him thing? I'm less concerned about Bobachette. This doesn't strike me as the type of injury that's going to be lingering. It, it, so in my mind, and I, the way I think about injuries for my fantasy teams, there's acute and there's chronic, right? Good and point. chronic injuries kind of are, are the things like, I, the reason the hobby injury potentially worries me more than the Bichette injury is because this is like a swing thing. It's something about how he plays. He needs his oblique and back and that whole area in order to be the Javier Baez that we think of him as. If he's limited in that way, he can't do a lot of the things that you would want to see him do. A shin contusion, shin bruise, whatever it winds up being, that is something that if you give it enough rest, it's going to heal. It's going to heal probably without a lot of damage. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right about the turf issue, and that's a reason that Toronto should be careful there. But that's not a reason that he can't come back 100%. If they give him enough time... Bichette is likely going to be okay, right? I, it's it's an acute injury versus something that could be chronic. The, the injuries that really freak me out with my team when I'm sort of like, whoa, what is going on here, are always the ones that are, you know, like the DeGrom thing where it's like, oh, it's a forearm. We're going to give him some rest. We're going to skip a start. Now it's 10 days. Now it's more. Now it's less. Mm-hmm. Like, backs are always bad. Uh, I I don't know. If we were putting this on a scale of 1 to 10, my Bichette worryometer is like a 2. That's fair. That's very fair. Um, I like how you kind of broke it down, though, because backs worry me, like obliques, basically muscle injuries are always concerning, or even like Gleyber Torres messes up his thumb, and they say, oh, it's going to be 10 to 20 days. Well, that doesn't help me out, because that could be even more than 20. Like, like that's a very weird um, assessment there by the Yankees. Mookie Betts finally goes to the IL. They tried to play this one for a while, like he's day-to-day, he kind of plays a game, he's hurt again. 
it, apparently they're saying he's going to miss more than the 10 days now because the hip's worse than they thought. So this is kind of concerning to me just for the fact that there's a month and a half of the season left. They need him for the postseason, obviously. So they're not going to risk this a ton. So you're not going to drop Mookie Betts, but like what, how would you handle rostering Mookie Betts, say, once he's activated from the IL? I mean, I think that you need a Mookie Betts replacement in the short term, but you're absolutely right. You're not going to drop him. You're also right that the bigger concern here, well, there's two. One, hips are in that category of yikes injuries, right? Hips are one of those things. We've got a guy who runs. You've got a guy who can give you some steals, that type of stuff. You do not want to hear that there's a hip issue because that's even if he comes back, that's going to limit what he can do, right? Um, But the other thing here is the team is in contention. They have no reason to risk playing him early. And And they're in contention like a lock. They're not in contention like they have to get wins in order to make the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs, whether Mookie Betts plays or not. So it's much more important to them that he be fully healthy in October than that he be doing damage in late August. And I just I think that I would be looking at the waiver wire for replacements for him in the short term. Um, I actually think the Cubs have a pretty ideal one there in Rafael Ortega, who I know we're going to talk about later. Uh, he's probably available in a lot of places right now, and he is sneak. He has been sneaky good the entire time that he has been with the Cubs, and he's getting a lot of playing time right now. But we can hold the Raphael Ortega talk. Yes, we're gonna have a whole hour on Raphael. I'm a huge Ortega fan, so we're gonna have some fun with that one for sure. Big, I love what he's doing, but uh, I'm with you. That, that this is the hard part about coming into September now because they expand the rosters. So the worst thing is, is they don't have to put him on the IL at that point. They can just let him sit there and be like, oh, we're gonna play him Tuesdays and Fridays. And then just let him sit there. So he doesn't help you out, but then you know you'll have him on your bench. And he's going to go and hit a home run and steal. Like he's just going to be a pain. It's going to be a very, very big pain. But you can't drop him. So get a get a good replacement while you can. Like Sarah said, the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Matt Barnes has been very good this year. Very good. Like this is to the surprise of many. He's starting to scuffle now. And Adam Adam Ottavino has been very good all season as a setup man and an occasional closer. Um, they came out and said they're going to give Barnes a few days off to clear his head. So there's a chance they might change the regime here for the last month and a half, how aggressive would you be on uh, trying to pick up Adam Adovino this weekend? If you can pick up Adam Adovino, that's great. I actually have Barnes in a couple of places and Adovino is not available. So I've been looking to some of these teams that traded closers to try to get some, to get some vulture saves there instead. And admittedly, that's not perfect, right? Like you're trying to get saves off the Cubs. I I don't know how to break this to you. They're not going to be in a lot of save situations. They're, they're very bad. Uh, so there are some guys there who you might want to look at who may get any safe situations that come up, but I just, I, I'm not looking for safe situations there. I think that I would try to find somebody from a different, if Adovino's available, by all means, pick him up. I I'm not entirely convinced that he is. Um, one place that I've been sort of looking for saves all season and admittedly it hasn't come to fruition yet, but I would not be stunned to see Kenley Jansen kind of like lose his closer spot at some point in time. So I've been stashing uh, backup Dodgers options all season in the, uh, in the chance that they get frustrated with Kenley Jansen sort of decline and try to go a different route. I, I could see that happening. So that's been one place I've been looking for saves. It's not a bad idea because he's been, it's been rough for him. Like you see signs of the old Kenley and then you see some really rough outings poking its head there. So uh, Corey Knable has got activated from the IL. You have Trinan that's been very good. You wouldn't be shocked if those guys sneak a save or two. I'm 100% with you there. And plus, they'll have a lot of chances to get saves, unlike you, unlike some other teams. The other one I would mention is it's pretty rough in New York these days for Edwin Diaz. So like a Trevor May or something could be quite interesting as well. 
So stuff like that. Cause yeah, you mentioned we, like the last couple of weeks since the trade deadline, everyone's kind of grabbing, you know, the Finnegan's and all these other guys that are kind of, you, you think they have it for now. Go look for the ones that might lose their job still. Cause there's still a month and a half of baseball to go. So a lot can happen. Um, this was quick. Kyle Schwarber, like we had reports. He was taking a BP and doing other things and doing that. And he starts a rehab assignment and they're already saying he might be DHing on Friday. Like that was the news that came out today. So this is going to be very interesting. They don't want him in the field yet, but they know he can hit and run. So they want him to at least be in the lineup. Don't blame him. So they're going to put JD in the outfield. I'm excited for this. I know you're excited for this. So what do you expect from Schwarber? Because some people think there's no way he can come close to this power guy we saw, but some think, you know, he'll still be pretty good. So what do you think? I think Schwarber is going to mash. And and yeah. I have been watching Kyle Schwarber for a long time, like since back when the Cubs drafted him. Here, here are the things that I believe about Kyle Schwarber. The man is a true hitter. Like, and not just a home run hitter. We think of him as a home run hitter. He is, he is an exceptional, he hits doubles. He, he doesn't really hit a lot of triples because he's not particularly fast, but he, line to line power, he can absolutely rake. When he has struggled, he has generally struggled because of the way, failing to adjust to how pitchers are pitching him. And he has an eye that is better than a lot of umpires who are calling the strike zone. So he'll take, strike three and get get it called when it's actually a ball. And it's the most frustrating thing to watch. I actually did a deep dive on this a couple of years ago for BCB. Um, when I wrote about this for Fangraphs, when Schwarber was in his like historic power surge, and when I say historic power surge, I'm not overstating this. The only people who have hit 16 home runs in 18 games are Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, and Kyle Schwarber. That's it. Pretty That's good. the list. So we're like that's the list in all of baseball history, right? Um, the thing that he had changed with his approach, there were two, and they're very interesting to me. The first is that Kevin Long and him worked on his swing in the offseason. We didn't really get to see it at the start of the season because of COVID stuff. He was one of the players who got put on the COVID IL, and the Nationals had that slow start because of COVID concerns. Um, when it started paying off, Pitchers stopped throwing him fastballs because he's a fastball hitter and he was demolishing them. But it didn't matter because his eye was so good. He was laying off the sliders and the fastballs he was seeing, he was turning into home runs. Now, do I think Kyle Schwarber is going to hit 16 home runs in 18 games again? Probably not. Uh, but I don't think you need him to do that for him to be an exceptional slugger for your team. And if you go back, I know he had a rough 2020 I was stunned that the Cubs non-tendered him over what basically amounted to like $1.5 million that they saved with Jock Peterson. Because if you go back to the end of his 2019, he was slashing like an all-star, like the guy he was with the Nationals. And I think if he is that dude for the Red Sox, they're going to let him hit. He is going to do a lot of damage in that ballpark. There will be a lot of hits off the wall. He's going to be able to tuck some home runs in behind Pesky's pole. If you look at his home runs and you're worried about that, you shouldn't be because that most of his home runs are still going to be dingers in Fenway. And I am very excited to see Kyle Schwarber uh, hit for my second favorite team. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Schwarbombs, so I'm all for it. Um, I, I, I I was blown away, and like I'm not even a diehard Cubs fan or anything, but when I saw them assign Jock to like 7 million and then see him go to see the nationals for basically the same contract. I literally, I did the Spider-Man meme and I'm like, what are you doing Cubs? Like Schwarber's better than Peterson, but you basically in the grand scheme of it, you traded very similar assets for the same price. It's not like you saved money. So that one confused me. And secondly, one of the great points that you mentioned there out of the mini is his, his eye for the plate. Like he is so good at that. That's why Joe Madden had him leading off for so long. 
his OBP skills are, are through the roof. So he can set the table. He can also hit home runs. Like he's super talented. I don't think people give him enough credit because they see this kind of big fun loving guy out there and they don't realize he's actually like a hardcore hitter. So um, I'm a big fan of him. I'm hoping he's fully healthy, but they didn't rush him back. It's my only concern ever for injuries. Well, you know, and the thing about Kyle Schwarber that, and and it's telling that this is a move that got made under the Hoyer regime and not the Theo regime. I remember reading years ago that Theo Epstein's comp for Kyle Schwarber was David Ortiz. Now Epstein's the dude that picked Ortiz up off the waiver wire when the twins let him go. So he has, he knows a little bit of what he speaks here. And it's one of those things to keep in mind. If anybody can recognize that type of talent and recognize that type of potential, I think it's the dude who had the original dude and, I just, I just think Schwarber is going to fit in Boston. Oh yeah, so well. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I see myself watching a lot of Red Sox games in the future. Yeah, with the with the personalities they have there, and some of the old players that still come back and kind of give that old school, like the Ortizes that still come back and everything. Schwarber's going to love it there. Like absolutely love being in Boston. If they continue to make a little playoff push, that could be really, really fun. Um, Alex Bregman, for those that have been holding out hope for Alex Bregman, another setback. So we'll see how that goes. It's just. That quad injury, it's a nasty one, so we'll have to see how that one plays out. But uh, another step back there, they traded Toro, I think, for multiple reasons, but I think they also thought Bregman would be back sooner than this. Um, are you trying to get the current third base situation there, or are you just uh, playing with other options out there? I'm just playing with other options. Yeah. Uh, and Bregman's injury, for the record, is another one that worries me a lot more than some other ones, particularly with setbacks, particularly with it being a muscle injury. And the Astros are in the same situation that the Dodgers are in. They need him in October. They don't need him in August. They're probably going to be fine. So um, I'm looking for – it depends on what you're trying to replace with Bregman in your lineup. If you're trying to replace power, if you're trying to replace average, uh, you know, you could have him for either or both reasons. If you're trying to replace power, I would. I looked a while back for wisdom. He's probably mostly gone in places now, but I think that um, you could do some – work there and if you're if you're trying to look for average I, I think Ortega is an interesting idea I think Jamer Candelario is actually doing some nice stuff recently and he's a guy that I've been trying to pick up in leagues where he is available um also looking at some other injury guys who could be coming back soon just to see if they can cover instead I love the Candelario shout out that's uh, he's so underrated so underrated and he has I think a double and a triple uh, as we record like he's, he's raking again in Baltimore today so very very good ball player there Fernando Tatis Jr like the first time they brought him back I thought it was too soon well I crow on that one because he just kept doing Tatis things it was it was beautiful this injury it's just one of those that's never going to go away until he has surgery which we know but for me they're going to put him in the outfield which scares me just for the fact that the way he plays is one speed he's going to dive we saw him taking practices and he's jumping into the wall already it's like dude Tone it down, like let him get the double. Like, don't get hurt out there. That's the whole point of this. He's gonna slide head first. This is what Tatis does. How concerned are you with him? Like you're gonna roster him, obviously, but this is one of those like one more time that's gotta be the end, pretty much. I think I read somewhere that he has subluxed his shoulder set on seven different occasions this aye, season. Aye, aye. And and admittedly, like not all of them have pulled him out of the lineup, but that gives you an idea of how chronic this issue is. I, I'll tell you this. I had a um, first round, like one and one only, like overall first round pick in a 12-team league earlier this year. And it was right about the time that Tatis uh, pulled his shoulder out the first time. And I was just like, Ugh. I actually went with Acuna in that league. That worked out until it didn't. But I don't I, I don't regret that decision at all. Uh, even with Tatis coming back and doing Tatis things. And he's awesome. He's a phenom. 
I don't think the outfield thing is going to work. I'm totally with you. He's going to dive. He's going to he's going to Eloy it at some point. Yeah, try to exactly. rob a home run, and that <laughs> shoulder is going to crank out. Um, I think he probably needs surgery. I hope that he comes back after surgery. You know, he's a young guy. He recovers well. He comes back, and he's exactly what we all want to see for the remainder of his career with the Padres. But that injury makes me more nervous than just about anything. And if he was in, I, I saw the damage that happened to my team. I think I went from like third to sixth mm-hmm. that I haven't been able to recover losing Acuna. I don't know how you recover uh, losing a Tatis. It's just, there's not a guy like that on the waiver wire. No, he's a freak. And he's like multiple things. He's awesome just to watch the game of baseball. He's awesome for fantasy baseball, but it's one of those that they're just playing with fire every time he's out there and they need him for the postseason. So I'm really hoping that's one of those like and, and Bryce Harper had a similar issue and he, they, he finally learned to not be so aggressive in the outfield, but it took him a long time. He was running into walls and getting hurt and doing stupid things. And he's even admitted now, like, yeah, I, I kind of just let it go now, which, um, you know, looks bad when you watch the game. But in reality, now you get your guy for 150 games a year. So you just kind of take those blows with it. Um, and Tatis is going to have to figure that out here pretty soon. And we'll have to see how that goes. But um, I hope the hope for the best. He's supposed to be back Friday. So keep, keep an eye on that one. Um, Carlos Rodon to the IL. This has been a topic of conversation in some of the chats I'm in that is this just, um, you know, taking care of his inning concerns? Is it a real shoulder injury? Because he's had previous shoulder injuries. If you had to guess, what would you think it is? I don't think this is a real injury. I think that this is the White Sox giving Rodon a bit of rest. um, And they can. They can afford to. They are Mm -hmm. running away with the AL Central. And they just got a lot better getting Aloy and Luis Robert back. I mean, they were running away with the AL Central without their two best players. And I'm really excited for this Field of Dreams game tonight, just so I can watch Aloy and Luis Robert do Aloy and Luis Robert things. The the White Sox are a fun team to watch. I I have, they might be the most fun team to watch in baseball. The Padres are close. I think that a White Sox Padres World Series, by the way, would be the ultimate fun swag factor I was calling for that last year. I was like, give us that last year. A shortened COVID year, give us those two teams. Like, do it. (laughs) The bat flips would be incredible. Like, can you imagine Tim Anderson and Fernando Tatis Jr. trying to out bat flip each other? No one would throw at each other because they're just having fun. Like, they wouldn't take it personally. There'd be swag chains and we could make jokes about Tony LaRusso trying to act cool. The whole thing would be incredible. But I think this is just rest. I don't think that there's anything wrong with Carlos Rodon. I haven't. I haven't seen anything in any of his starts that makes me feel exactly. like something is wrong with him. Uh, I think they're just trying to, you know, hold on until now, obviously if you're missing a start or two, if you have him and that's a bummer, but I'm not worried about him. Yeah. You had to see it coming that you were going to miss a start or two eventually from Rodon, regardless of what happened. That was just going to be, you, you, you already earned more than you ever thought you would from him. So just kind of take that one with a grain of salt, but I, I'm with you too, where I'm thinking it's more of a, let's just let him rest. They kind of looked at the calendar probably and said, okay, if we do it here, we have a day off. We can move our pitchers around. We'll be cool. Like, no big deal. And it makes the most sense in the world because, again, they're running away with it. And you want him in the postseason because he's been filthy. Even if he can pitch, like, three to four inning stints. Like, it doesn't have to be the, the long-term starters. Go throw gas for a trip through the lineup and strike them all out or something. He can do that right now. So, that that's a big plus for a team like the White Sox, especially after they added Kimbrell and, and uh, Tapera and some other pieces. Like, they just – their depth in pitching is ridiculous now for the postseason. So You brought up Kimbrell. Oh, sorry. No, that's fine. Go for it. You brought up Kimbrell, and I just have to say, I I am stunned they're not using him in a closer position right now because Kimbrell is Hall of Fame, filthiest Kimbrell that he has ever been. And I really think, and I get it, Liam Hendricks has also been awesome. And I I am stunned that Kimbrell is not getting closing situations with how good he has been. I actually think he's been worse in a non-save situation role because he just doesn't get amped up as much. And I, of all the places for him to land, 
that might be the single worst place for Kimbrel to land. I was I wanted the Red Sox to get him. I thought that he would have done a lot to, of good to help them at this Barnes situation that didn't work out. I just I don't know. I I miss seeing Kimbrel close. Yeah, I'm with you as a guy that has him rostered in many fantasy leagues. I had him and Hendricks in so many leagues, and now I have them on the same team. It's it's so much fun. But um, I'm with you. He was ridiculously filthy this year. And Hendricks is good, so it's a tough decision. Like, I was just shocked more than anything when they made the trade. I'm like, whoa, out of all the teams to go to, like, I, I get it. You basically have a two-headed monster back there, but it's it's still an iffy situation because you said he's been kind of not as good in the, in the non-safe situations, and that's been a thing for years with these guys. They're wired different to close games. Like, you see some guys that are great in the seventh inning, you give them a couple chances in the ninth, and they just they fold. It's, it's a different beast in that ninth inning regardless. And you put them in a different atmosphere that maybe the adrenaline's not going. I don't know. But um, it's it's interesting. I was shocked by that trade. Very shocked by that one. So we'll see. Uh, let's discuss a couple of uh, your articles and some other players in general that are kind of topics of conversation these days. And one of, uh, one of the, the articles I was looking at was your article on Trey Turner. And I loved it for many reasons. A, because I'm biased. And I've always had Trey Turner ranked super high in my rankings. And I've caught in flack for it before. Because like, no, he's not as good as this guy and that guy. I'm like, yeah, he kind of is. And I said, you know what? You guys say that because he says he has no power. I'm like, he's got like 25 plus home run power if he really gets to play every day. And people started seeing that finally. So when you dug in on on Trey Turner, what did you see that made you say like he's he is this good and you should expect this and maybe more? Well, it's a couple of things. I was looking at the leaderboards, and you know, we we spend all this time in 2021 talking about the shortstops who are going to be free agents, right? So we spent a lot of time, oh, Javi Baez, this, that, and the other thing. Carlos Correa, this, that, and the other thing. You know, Corey Seager, this, that, and the other. And and those guys are all good. So this, to be clear, I am not dissing any of those players. Mm -hmm. But Trey Turner is always right there. Uh, Marcus Simeon is too, by the way. And somebody else at Fangrass had already written the Marcus Simeon piece. So I I let that one lie. But I, I was like, why is it? that we don't talk about Trey Turner in the same breath what we talk about Corey Seager or Javier Baez. Now, admittedly, he's had some injuries, but a lot of those injuries have been acute. They're not the type I worry about, really. It's like a broken hand or finger or whatever, and that's not the type of injury that's going to linger over years the same way that like a muscle injury would. Um, but the second thing is that Turner really changed his approach and how he hits over the last year. And again, this is a Kevin Long thing, and you know, I think the Nationals hitting coach might be uh, one of the best weapons in baseball. He's the same guy who kind of took Kyle Schwarber to the next level. That's the same guy, incidentally, who was with the Mets when Daniel Murphy went through his launch angle revolution. And everybody's like, whoa, where did Daniel Murphy come from? I think that Kevin Long is a really, really good coach. And I think that the way he worked with Trey Turner, Turner, you, if you look at his spray charts, you can see that he now has power to all fields. So what he's managed to do is he's improved his defense. He's not... Like the same, you're not going to get the same level of defensive gems that you get with a Tatis or a Javi, but he's, he's very competent, right? Like he's, he's in a, he's not going to do damage to your team on, on defense as a player. And that has let him sit at that shortstop position and really be just a great hitter. And he runs more than any of these other guys do. I actually think that with the MVP situation in the NL where it currently is, where you have like an Acuna who's out, you have a Soto who's missed playing time, you have a Tatis who might be hurt. Trey Turner is a sneaky candidate to be a potential NL MVP for that Dodgers team. And I, I love Trey Turner. I think he is an underrated, undervalued player. I want him on every team I have. I'm probably hurting my ability to get him on every team that I have with this segment. But yeah, I had a lot of fun digging into how he's improved his hitting. Yeah, no, I love everything about it because you you nailed so much of it. He's he's 
people were get, like saying he couldn't hit with power and stuff, and he was so young, like he's still developing as a ball player. Now you mentioned he put uh, Kevin Long with him, which helps tremendously, and the numbers have just skyrocketed. Even in the years where he had 19 home runs, like uh, in 2019, he only played 122 games because he had that, like you said, a cute kind of fluky broken finger off a bunt attempt. Like these are things that aren't his fault. Imagine if he plays twenty five more ball games. We're talking, we are talking twenty five home runs probably. So um, it, it's 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 big thing. He's, his average has always been good. He's going to run for days. So I'm, I'm a big fan of him. Like to me, he's kind of he's just behind like a Ronald Acuna because what he does is just ridiculous. But um, Trey's awesome. And my question for you is going into twenty twenty two, would you rather have assuming the shoulders healthy? Would you rather have Tatis or Trey Turner? I mean, if the shoulder's healthy, you got to go with Tatis. He has more power. I mean, I'm looking. I just pulled up the shortstop leaderboard really fast over at Fangraphs. And Tatis, through 88 games, has 31 home runs and 23 stolen bases. Turner has 18 home runs and 22 stolen bases across 101 games. So, like, just the game-to-game production, you're going to get more of it out of Tatis. That said, I think that if there is any question in your mind as to whether Tatis is healthy, if he has surgery in the offseason and you're not sure that he is going to have that type of production or he might miss even more playing time in 2022 than he missed in 2021 and in 2020, for the record, like like Tatis has not been a healthy ball player mm-hmm. during his time in the big leagues. I would take I think Turner is a safer bet. Turner is going to be a 2020 guy this year. He's probably going to be a 25-25 guy this year. Mm-hmm. The list of guys who are going to give you 25 home runs and 25 stolen bases at shortstop is Tatis and Turner. That's that's the list. Yeah, not to mention he's going to be a Los Angeles Dodger, which as a Giants fan pains me, but um, he's going to be very good there because they're going to score a lot of runs and win a lot of games. So he's going to be just fine once again. Um, there's another player that I don't know if he gets to 25-25, but it'd be very close. He was like a third-round pick late second, early third this past year, but he might sneak into the first round from, from some early conversations I've seen. Where would you have Bo Bichette? Like, I, he'd probably have him behind Turner, I'd assume, but would he be your like, – long ways to go until next season, but just looking in a, in a – like, real quick, would he be, like, your third shortstop off the board? Because he is, like, a little behind Turner in overall stat production. It depends on how much I'm using um, my shortstop position for steals. Gotcha. And I, I do a lot because that's one of the few places where you can get steals. I like Bo Bichette uh, a lot. I think that he is right around that Tim Anderson category for me. Um, he, he probably goes before Tim Anderson, maybe a round or two. Um, I don't know about third off the board. The other person that I think gets really underrated in this conversation is Xander Bogarts. 100%. And so third is really hard for me because I'm kind of looking at Xander there and I'm like, I don't know. That seems kind of mean to him. He's been really good, although yep. he doesn't give you those bats. So, yeah. yeah. So if you're looking for stolen bases out of shortstop, then Xander can't be third off the board. Yeah, no, I love Xander. I'm with you 100%. He does not get the love he deserves. And he does not at all. The dude is awesome. He's just quietly humming his way through another great season. But it's the steals, people, you know, you know, fantasy players. We get obsessed with uh, categories. And, uh, you know, if you're going to take a guy that early, we want that kind of uniformity most of the time. So that kind of hampers him. But if you can build your team the right way, there's nothing wrong with Xander because you can almost lock in those other four categories of what you're, of, of production time and time again. Uh, another play you wrote about, and I love this because I was I was very pro Yohan Moncada going into the year. I have lots of shares of Yohan Moncada this year. It's been a rocky road this year, but I believe the talent level is still there. And I've seen a lot of slander about Yohan Moncada's overrated, doesn't do this, doesn't do that. 
what did you um what do you have on Yoan Moncada? Because you your title of your article is Yoan Moncada is a big reason the White Sox are a juggernaut despite injuries. Well, so the White Sox lost Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. And after the Aloy injury, I don't remember if it was Jay Jaffe or Dan Zembraski, one of the two at Fangraphs wrote a piece that was like, the White Sox are gonna have a real hard time replacing Aloy. And then they lost Luis Robert. And if any other team lost their two biggest offensive juggernauts, we would be looking at a competitive race. They're not going to win the division anymore. How is this going to turn out? Whatever. And the White Sox not only are winning the AL Central, and admittedly, it's a weak division with the Twins having a down year. It's not the division that we all thought it was going to be. Uh, Cleveland is not particularly trying. So, they ran away with that division. They ran away with that division, hodgepodging some stuff in the outfield. They ran away with that division with a month and a half of your mean Mercedes. And like, I look, I, I think, I don't think that had anything to do with Tony Larusa. I think that had everything to do with the league figuring out your mean Mercedes. And we'll see if he is ever able to make a comeback. But Yoan Moncada was the guy who had the highest position player war on the team when Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert were out. You know, you've got Yasmani Grandal having a real weird season doing this, like, I don't get hits, but I hit home runs and I get on base, so I'm still worth a lot thing. And then you have Yoan Mankata. That That is sort of the value core of what the White Sox are getting. They obviously have some other great players, too. Jose Abreu is a great player. Tim Anderson, who we were just talking about, great player. But the guy who was leading them in war was Yoan Mankata. And he's doing it hurt. He's dealing with some nagging injuries, and he was trying to figure out, and he did a great job of making sure that they stayed in, like their run production stayed up while they were without their big boppers, while they were without the guys who were really driving, the driving force behind their offense. Now that they have those guys back, I, I would actually think that Mankata is going to get a little bit of time off to try to heal whatever has been ailing him and to try to get back to um, his regular approach. The other thing that's super interesting about Yoan Mankata is he's almost too picky. He's a player who you would like to see swing more. And he started doing that, right? So we've had a couple of different writers look at his zone and chase rates, and, and he was striking out a lot looking at things. Uh, and, and he doesn't do that this season. This season, if there is a pitch down the middle, he is going to swing at it. Now, that doesn't mean he's always going to do damage on it, but he has managed to put that all together for a Woba of 341 and a WRC plus of 119 in a season where he's not at his healthiest. And I think that that's a, that's a type of player who really gets overlooked a lot. I think he's still very, very young. Um, I think that he's the type of guy who is probably going to be a little undervalued in fantasy drafts next year. He's not a flashy name. He doesn't rise to the top of those leaderboards. And I like Yoan Mankata a lot. And he plays for a great team where he's going to score runs and drive runs in. Yeah, I'll get suckered back into him again, is what I'll call it, because I, I believe in the talent. He's 26, as you mentioned, still very, very young. Uh, that team is very good around him. I'm not saying, like, oh, what could he have done with Eloy and Lewis Robert still there, but what could he have done with those two bats around him not having to kind of carry the load like you're saying? So I am very curious to see how he finishes this season, how he goes into next year. I already thought he was getting drafted too late this past year i think it only goes later now after the season because everyone's like look he only has 10 home runs he only has three stolen bases you know this was a guy we used to kind of promote as you know 20 maybe 20 homers 15 to 20 stolen bases he was the next big thing coming out of boston before he got traded to the white Sox, and it's kind of he's been hampered by injuries 
and that's just kind of been a tough one. He had COVID last year, and he was one of the few that spoke out like he could barely breathe at times. And that's kind of scary thinking, okay, he's still out there playing, and he has no energy and can barely breathe. Like, that's just awesome, guys. Like, this is, this is not a way to play baseball. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's just going to – each year away from that's going to help and the whatever other nagging injuries he still has. I'm very, very intrigued to see what Yohan Moncada can do going forward on this this White Sox team, which is going to be a juggernaut for a, a few years at least. So that'll be fun to see. All right, let's go to the next guy, the big guy. This guy, I was so happy when he came back. I know you were too. I've seen you tweet about him. I think every night at least it's a home run. I see something from you. Um, Eloy Jimenez is absolutely a joy to watch as a baseball fan. Like I, I call him a kid because to me he is a kid, but – he is, looks like a kid having fun playing baseball, which is what this is all about in the end. It really is about just having fun playing baseball. He's got like two or three buttons undone. He's got chain upon chain. You mentioned the swagger. His hat's tilted. He's running the, around the outfield. You can tell he does not want to play the outfield. He's like, yeah, I'm just out here because I have to be. Um, and then when he hits, the thing about Eloy that I love so much is people just associate him with power. He's one of the better batting average guys you're going to find in baseball as well. Like He's a pure hitter. Which is not what like you just you would expect. Okay, you hit thirty bombs, hit like two fifty. No, that's not what he does. So, what's your thoughts on Eloy? Because we're gonna get about another month and a half of him, and um, where do you think he could finish the year, like uh, you know, production wise? I absolutely love Eloy Jimenez. I think that you know, I understand why the Cubs did the deal for Jose Quintana when they did. Eloy was just outside of the heart of their window. They thought they were gonna chase down another World Series championship in twenty seventeen. They needed pitching. Quintana at the time looked like the type of guy who could give you a lot of innings for cheap. He actually profiled a lot like John Lester. Like I understand every reason the Cubs liked that deal. I hated that deal when it happened. I felt like I had been punched in the stomach as I was walking back from my lunch. I remember I was walking back from my lunch break on LaSalle and a friend texted me about it. And I was just like, not Aloy. Like I, I was devastated by that deal. I think Aloy is the natural. Like if you've ever watched the baseball movie, the natural, I think Aloy is the natural. I have literally seen him when he was in the minor leagues hit a home run that took out a light. I, the dude is a pure hitter, like you were saying, and he loves the game playing in the AL. He can DH a lot. He doesn't have to have these injuries that he gets running around the outfield. He's not a good outfielder. I mean, like, let's, let's just be honest. I think my favorite play from 2020 was the play where Aloy is like standing in left field and Luis Robert runs over to get a ball (laughs) That like, it should be Aloy's ball by, by all rights, right? Like that's Aloy's ball. And and he's just standing there not moving because he knows his job is to not move and let Luis Robert get the ball, right? Um, Aloy is so fun to watch. He, like you were saying, he's a great hitter. I think the power, obviously, we all know the power is there. I was just trying to pull up actually what his rest of season projections look like. Cause I actually think they're probably a little low yeah, for what he is actually going to do. If you look at um the rest of season depth charts projections from fan graphs, they have him hitting 10 home runs and slugging 532 with a 362 Woba. I think that he's probably going to surpass that. I wouldn't be surprised to see 12 to 15 home runs from Aloy. I mean, he just had back-to-back five RBI games. The man is an animal, and he's been he has not been able to play baseball for so long that he's just letting all the joy out on the field, and it's great. Back-to-back five RBI, not to mention back-to-back two home run games. Like, the dude is – he's something else. He really is. I love watching him play. You mentioned uh, the natural. Well, where they're playing tonight – uh, those lights look pretty low, so that could get that could get interesting there, and uh, at the Field of Dreams facility there in I- Iowa. So, I love Aloy. I absolutely love him. The question I have for you is: you look at his skill set, and obviously it's a different position. 
but you're getting average, you're getting power. So the runs, RBIs, homers, all that. No stolen bases, pretty much. To me, he profiles very similar to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from a fantasy perspective. Who would you rather have in a draft next season? Uh, for positional reasons, probably Vladdy. Um, I think that but that's a tough call. I I generally tend to want the infielders over the outfielders just because I think that there's a there's a, it's harder to fill those spots with high quality offensive guys. I think there's a lot of outfielders who can give you some home runs, can give you some average, can do those types of things. Um, I need to check actually this Vladito's positional eligibility at the I moment. I believe next year it'll be first base only because I don't think he's done any. He's not going to have the third base, base anymore. No, oh, that's a, that, that makes it tougher because first base, mm-hmm. you can get some mashers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably still Vlad, but it's closer. Yeah. I think that Vlad has a slightly higher average, and that's really hard to come by these days. And I think that if I were to go head-to-head, like who's going to hit more home runs over the course of a season, I would probably think Vlad just edges out Aloy. Aloy's had more injury issues, but yep. that's real That's real close. They're probably – when I do rankings, they will probably be within five players of each other. Yeah, they'll be very, very close for me as well. It's one of those that – I could literally see them putting up very similar stat lines, but the positional issue will be the big deciding factor, most likely. Uh, The last one I I wanted to mention here, and this is because this is a buzz name on Twitter right now. Fantasy Baseball Twitter, Cody Bellinger is a buzz name. Cody Bellinger um, had a horrific like four and a half months of the season, and he's now hit safely in eight straight games, so everyone is back on Team Cody Bellinger. Um, We know there's the shoulder issues with Cody. We know he decided to change his uh, stance and hitting approach for some reason. And it's been a really rough go. He's a platooning with AJ Pollock hitting seventh or eighth for the Dodgers right now because they've made so many moves. It, it, what do you expect from Cody Bellinger the rest of the way? Because this is a hot streak, and I'm happy for him, but I still can't get past how bad it was before this. I guess I would look at this Cody Bellinger question a little bit differently. If you drafted Bellinger where you had to draft him, mm-hmm. you have to be disappointed in this Thank season. you. That's it doesn't matter – what he does for the next 40 games. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if he turns, I don't think he's going to turn on MVP Cody Bellinger, but let's say he does. Like I, I just, you have to be disappointed with what you have gotten in 2021 from Cody Bellinger. And I just, when I look at him, I, he, he's never struck me as all that consistent. Actually the player that comes to mind that strikes me as having similar consistency issues who also goes on hot streaks sometimes is Christian Yelich. Mm-hmm. And I, both of them are guys I've tended to avoid in drafts just because their streaks are so polarizing. Like you end up paying for the hot streak and you get the low streak, if that makes sense. I want to be on the side of predicting the next hot streak, not paying for past performance. And neither of those guys have, they've not, they've not been consistent enough for me to be like, oh yeah, I'm super thrilled that I drafted Cody Bellinger early. Well, this was an easy conversation then. This was good because um, I've gotten a lot of flack for it. Uh, and I, I've been pounding the drum of, yes, Cody this, because everyone said, this is why you hold on to Cody Bellinger because you keep your studs. And I said, Cody Bellinger would have killed your fantasy team by now. The buck 75 average, like you would be crazy to have played him this long. I don't care if he goes on a hot streak. And so my answer today, that's what's like, I didn't tweet it out. I literally had it and I saved it. It's almost like you read my mind is, okay, then all you Cody Bellinger fans now, are you still Christian Yelich fans? Because he's not hitting, but it's the same player. That was the first guy that popped into my mind. I'm like, okay, same thing. You drafted him about the same time, same idea of production, both been massively disappointing. So 
it's interesting. Like I want nothing to do with Cody Bellinger. I get it, but uh, it's just I had to bring it up on the show because I can't get all my thoughts out in 140 characters or whatever's two four, whatever it is now. But um, yeah, it's one of those where I'm just looking at it, going, guys, you can't. This no, this doesn't work. He would have destroyed your teams. Like it just doesn't work that way. I mean, let me let me go back to another player we were just talking about. There are a lot of people who did not hold on to Eloy Jimenez. Eloy Jimenez yeah. is projected for a better end of season than Cody Bellinger's end of season. Right now, I'm looking at it. They both have 10 homers. Aloy's projected to hit like 280. Cody's projected to hit like 253. That might bring his average up to like 220, 230 on the season. I don't know. Like I, I would have rather, you know, held on to Aloy and tried to backstop than dra- yeah. at drafted Cody Bellinger. I So that's sort of that's sort of where I'm at with him. But I understand why people really like him. I understand why yeah. people are doing their victory lap on Twitter right now. If you've been suffering through the bad season, of yeah, true. If you then you need this that long. moment of joy. But <laughs> yeah. I, you can't, I wouldn't have felt good about that draft. Pick. No, you got to put the caveat in there though. Like you can't just claim like, Oh, see, this is why I kept them. Told you. Now there's, there's more to the story on that one. Uh, let's do a little Cubs talk here. And we're going to try to keep this as therapeutic as possible, as not painful as possible. Um, Starting off with the big three that left town. Anthony Rizzo goes to the Yankees. It's a couple home runs. The, now he's on the COVID IL. Um, he'll be back soon, I believe. What's what's your take on what he can he'll he can do for the Yankees? We know how good he is, but do you think he'll actually be that good with the Yankees? Or are you kind of like, nah, he'll take a little step back? Who knows? I think Rizzo is gonna be a lot better with the Yankees. And I think it's gonna be two things. Um, one, I Rizzo is look, he, he was the heart of the Cubs team captain put the C on his chest. Honestly, I think that the Cubs should have extended him a long time ago. And I think they probably should have figured out a way to build around him for a long period of time. I think if they had done that, he probably would have had um, a better start to his season. I think that a lot of the trade talk, the will it, will there be a rebuild? When will it start? Oh, they traded Darvish. Schwarber didn't come back. All of that. I think that weighed on a lot of Cubs players in ways that are intangible and I know people don't like to talk about intangibles like we like to talk about stats. And look, I write for Fangraphs. Like, I like to talk about stats, too. But these are human beings. These are actual people who have to go to work every day. And if you're in a work environment where the first question every day is, when are you getting traded? That is not a good work environment to be in. I think part of the reason that all three of the big three, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and Chris Bryant, got off to hot starts with their new teams is that the, the monkey was off their back for a second. They could just be baseball players and be good at their job. The Yankees, as much as I hate to admit it, as a person who likes the Red Sox, are a very good fit for Anthony Rizzo. Yep. That short porch is going to play for him. In wh- he's going to hit. If he were to stay with the Yankees, which I actually kind of predict might happen, I think that the Yankees are going to fall in love with Anthony Rizzo and offer him a contract that is probably fifteen million dollars over what the rest of the market would bear for him. And he's got he's going to take it because why yeah. wouldn't you take it when the Yankees offer you that? Because the Yankees are not scared of having two years at the end of your deal where you're not doing anything and you're getting paid $20 million. We know that from the Jacoby Ellsbury deal. We know that from the A-Rod deal. They're not scared of it. They're not scared of offering you a lot when they find their guy and just eating it at the end of the deal, right? And everything I'm seeing with how Rizzo interacts with that Yankees team, he makes them better. He makes them better defensively. He makes them better in the clubhouse. He's wonderful for their media. Chicago's a pretty intense media environment. It's not not New York. It's not Boston, but it's probably the next tier down. And he he's a solid media person. He's not going to balk under the big lights of New York. I think that, honestly, the big move of the trade deadline for me 
I thought that Rizzo was going to go to Boston. I thought yeah. they needed a first baseman and that Rizzo fit really well there, particularly since they had drafted him originally. The Yankees getting Rizzo was a way to coup the Red Sox not getting Rizzo, right? And so the Yankees both made their team better and made their opposition worse with one move. And I just think they're going to fall in love with him, and they probably already have. That's a great point. That was kind of a double double move for them. We block our, our rivals and we get a first baseman like we needed. It seemed like he was the done deals with the Red Sox at one point in time. So that was uh, pretty interesting as well. What do you, like, I've seen talks about it because out of the big three, Rizzo, like you said, the captain, he was kind of the, the face of the Cubs. If you had to pick one of the three type thing, it was Rizzo. Do you think it's possible that we've seen what the Cubs have done before? Well, actually, the Yankees did it with the Cubs last time where they traded Chapman and brought Chapman back. Do you think there's a world where Rizzo comes back on a deal to the Cubs? If he had gone somewhere else, I think maybe. Here, here's the problem I think the Cubs are going to find themselves in. They, they would, they're going to offer him a contract. They're going to mm-hmm. want him back. The Cubs offered – the rumor is that the Cubs offered Rizzo a five-year, $70 million deal yeah, last offseason. <laughs> that is a cut and pay. Rizzo is making $16.5 million this year, if I recall correctly. Uh, so they basically offered him a $4 million cut and pay after he already took a team-friendly deal when he was younger to try to stick with the team through this contention window. Rizzo not only didn't take the deal, he ended talks. He was just like, we're not going to have this conversation. We'll talk in the offseason. In the event that he had been traded somewhere else, not New York, where maybe they don't offer him like a five-year, $100 million deal or something like that, I think there's a chance he comes back to Chicago. They're like, yo, our bad. We'll offer you five years, 90 or something. We feel terrible, whatever. Maybe there's a chance. But I don't think they're going to get that chance now because I think that the Yankees fall in love with Anthony Rizzo and offer him more than anybody else will. And the Cubs aren't going to match that. They're not in, They're not looking to spend right now. Uh, everything that the Cubs are doing says they're trying to be as thrifty as humanly possible and just hold on until 2023 or 2024 when the like Brennan Davis, Braylon Marquez core type of hits and gets ready and then they'll try to spend again. I would not be shocked, depending obviously on what happens with the CBA and how things get rehashed out there, to see the Cubs w- with just a pitifully low uh, salary in the next couple of seasons they you know every time Hoyer talks about this rebuild he acts like oh I don't know we don't it's not a rebuild it's a retool we're not really sure it might be 2022 it might be later we're not sure of our timeline I'm like why don't you just say we're not going to commit to anything until after we know what the new terms of the collective bargaining agreement are and then we'll reassess where we are the reason that they let a Schwarber walk and signed a one-year deal for Jack Peterson is because that's easier to flip at the deadline like everything they did this season was aimed at being as mobile as modular as possible so they could flip as many players as possible and the result is is a historically bad Chicago Cubs team I I tweeted this last night and I was being kind of tongue-in-cheek but not really you know they have 46 games left 45 now there's a non-zero chance they will not win 10 games all season. This team is not very good. Uh, if you have watched them this week, they just lost all seven games of a homestand for the first time since 1943. Yeah. So this team is is not good at all. They're not trying to win baseball games. They're trying to get a better draft pick and waiting to see what happens with the CBA to determine if their competitive window opens in 2023, 2024. I just don't see them doing much of anything for 2022. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a rough go watching them against the Brewers come in there and uh, do pretty much whatever they wanted to even Hendricks of all people. Um, 
we don't need to talk about Javi and Chris Bryant because I think I know we're going to have very similar thoughts as we just had with Rizzo in the grand scheme of things, um, unless you have something else. I, I think Javi might come back. I don't he think fits, Javi is going to get Chicago the... Chicago so good. Yeah, I don't think Javi's going to get the type of contract offers that um, he that the other two are going to get. I think that there's a lot of skepticism about his skill set, how it will age. He just threw his back out swinging, which is like realizes everybody's worst fears. I think that Javi fits Chicago very well. And I, I've actually been saying for a few years now on my podcast, Cup of Cubby Blue, if you're interested in hearing my Cubs takes, um, I've been saying for a few years now that there's two beating hearts to the Chicago Cubs, that there was a Brizzo heart, like the Bryant Rizzo heart that everybody wanted to sell you on MLB Network and everything. There was also a Contreras Baez heart, mm-hmm. and they weren't planned for those were Jim Hendry acquisitions. They weren't supposed to be there. Contreras was left hanging in the Rule 5 draft in 2015. Anybody could have picked him up. Uh, you know, Javi's been kind of back and forth as like, oh, he strikes out too much. We don't know. He's so flashy. El Mago. I think that there is a way for the Cubs to build around a Javi and Contreras core to, to lock both of those dudes up for the next five or six years. You could get Contreras right around a Sal Perez type of deal, and that would be totally legitimate and affordable. Yeah. You could get Javi... I think probably for like seven years, 160, 180, um, both of those seem affordable enough to me. And even if Javi can't stick at shortstop, I think he can move to second or third when like an Ed Howard is ready or a Christian Hernandez or one of the many teenagers they got for you, Darvish, all of whom play shortstop apparently, uh, except for one, I think. Um, One of those guys is going to be a shortstop someday. And on that day, Javier Baez can be the best third baseman in the league. I like that take, though, because in the grand scheme of things, no, no matter what rebuild it is, you need some veterans there that have been there. I've done that. And why go and, like, pay for a couple non-Cub veterans and keep a couple of guys that actually want a title with you? Like, hey, we did this here, guys. Like, we did this. Let, let me tell you how it goes. Like, let me tell you how the city is when we're not losing games. Like, let's. it's like the old major league adage. Like, you know, this team stinks. No one's used to it. And all of a sudden, the fans start showing up. And these guys are like, well, this is crazy. And oh, now we got playoff games. Like, yeah, let's teach these guys. Like, hey, this is this is, this is is how it's supposed to be at Wrigley Field. So, and stuff like that goes a long ways, I think. I think it does, too. And I think that the Cubs have a lot of talent that is young, that is Latino, that is – um, you know, sitting in their farm system that are international free agent signings that are pretty interesting that, you know, if you want to build the next core and you want fans to not abandon you in 2022, 23, Javi offers you a way to do that that is affordable, that keeps part of the beating heart of your 2016 Cubs there. It'll bring mm-hmm. fans to the ballpark for 2022. Both Javi and Contreras will be perfectly good players from 2023 to like 2026. And you wind up in a situation where you, you now you got Brennan Davis out there. You got Miguel Amaya backing up Contreras. Maybe Contreras at some point moves to first base so yeah. you can spare his knees, keep his bat in the lineup, and Miguel Amaya is your catcher now. You got Nico Horner out there. I mean, there, there's some interesting things that could happen, but they're, you know, two seasons away. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And you mentioned the, the all the Latin pieces they have. I think that's a very good point. I've mentioned it with the Giants in the past of why they've kept certain veterans around and stuff. You look at the farm systems, and if, depending on each team's farm system, that's a huge thing because, like you mentioned, the off the field things with, you know, the the monkey on the backs of those three guys. We look at these young players that are coming from Latin countries, and you throw them in this this mix with no one to lead them and show them like, hey, this is how we do things. Like the thing with the White Sox, you had with Eloy and and Lou Bob and them, they had Abreu there yes. to literally just under my wing. Let me show you guys how this is done. That's tremendous. Like that's so that's worth more money than you can pay a guy for that. Like that's so huge to make life so easy and comfortable for them. 
like, hey, you want to know where to go get Cuban food in this town or something? Instead of like, hey, all we got is this McDonald's over here. Just like, let me make you feel at home a little bit. It goes a long, long ways to, to make things better. So I, there's a, it's understated how important that is. I, I agree. And I, you know, I think Bryant is gone. I think Rizzo is gone, like I already said. But I think there is a way for the Ricketts to do a rebuild here around Javi ba- Javi Baez contract that keeps fans like me from being completely brokenhearted for two seasons. I don't know that I trust them to do that, but they could. Well, I hope that happens, but uh, I'm going to pull up my listener questions because they're going to coincide with the rest of this Cubs section here. So um, we're going to talk Rafael Ortega. And Yancey wants to know, does Rafael Ortega stick a lead off the rest of the season? And what do you think about his playing time in the future? Because I've gotten ridiculed because I'm a huge guy, uh, Ortega guy. I've added him in a lot of leagues, full support. And I think he's I think he's a part of the future, but I don't know the Cubs like you do. I get ridiculed because he's 30 years old, and that's not going to help them right now. I think it helps him for a couple of years maybe. But what's your thoughts on Ortega? I think Ortega absolutely sticks at leadoff, and I think he absolutely sticks for the for the short-term future, for like 2022. Look, Rafael Ortega is not supposed to be here. Rafael Ortega has rest-of-season projections that show him batting 255, 320, 402. And yet, through 158 plate appearances, what he's done instead is 331, 382, 517. There are two components about this that I think are important for people to keep in mind when you're trying to consider, is this like actual, like he can exceed production or is this, we miss something. The first is that he's the exact type of player that gets missed on prospects list. He's a little too old. He's not the next guy up. He doesn't have like a, he didn't have a clear path to the majors. The reason Rafael Ortega is here is because when the Cubs had a whole bunch of hamstring injuries, when they actually looked like they were contending, think that like Jake Marisnik went down and Jason Hayward went down and Nico Horner went down. It was like a back-to-back-to-back type of thing. Uh, David Ross needed a bat. The Cubs offense, as I've written about at Fangraphs before, is kind of, has this boom and bust quality to it. And the reason for that is they had too many three true outcome guys and not enough guys who were going to get hits in between those three true outcome guys, right? So they load the bases with walks and then just leave them standing there. It was kind of, a, it was really frustrating to watch. Ortega was the guy that David Ross got when he said, I just need the most professional at bat in the organization. So the most professional at bat in AAA comes up and he's slashing 331, 382, 517. And he doesn't look like he's getting beat on anything. He looks like he's adjusting just fine. And I think that he's just somebody that scouts have missed. I think that he's somebody that didn't, he was a little too old. He didn't project as being a major league player. He projected maybe as being quad A or whatever. And he's getting his shot at the show and he's using it. And until the league figures him out, until they figure out what his hole is and they start exploiting it, he's not losing his job. There's nobody coming to take that job, right? The Cubs aren't exactly trying to win a ton of games in 2021. So Rafael Ortega is one of the bright spots in a lineup that can really get you some fantasy value. I don't see anybody taking his job at leadoff at the start of 2022, unless something real weird happens with the CBA and the Cubs push their competitive window up. So yeah, I think Ortega's for real. And until the league proves me otherwise, I'm going to envision this guy as the, you know, 120 to 130 WRC plus player he's been. He's actually been a 142 WRC plus player so far. I'll, I'll pull that back a little bit, but I don't think he's the below average hitter that he's being projected to be. And neither do I. You look at his career through the minors. He's been a pretty good average hitter overall. Um, he's stolen bases the whole time through the minors. Power developed 2019. And like people are calling him a journeyman. And I'm like, no, he wasn't. If you look at the teams he was on, 
there was nowhere for him to go. That's why they were trading him. Like he's on the he was on the Rockies. Well, we know how the outfield's been in the Rockies from 2010 to 2013. He was on the Cardinals after that. Well, we know that situation. You just keep going down the list of teams that he was on. So that's why he was a tradable asset to these guys. And teams still wanted to give him a chance to see if he could break through. Now he's at least getting a chance. So we'll see what he has. Sure, he's 30. That's like not ideal. But I try to tell people now, I said, 30 is not what it used to be, folks. And this is coming from a guy that's getting closer to 40 than 30 anymore. But um, it's they have technology to make them a lot healthier now at 30 than they used to be. Like the prime isn't 25 to 27 anymore. I'd say the prime goes to like 33 or 34 or some of these guys. Like we're seeing them break out later and later. So I think our take is fine. I'm 100% in agreement with, the, with you on that one. Yeah, I also think that you have to think about how old someone is based on how much wear and tear they've had at their position and how many True. shots they've had. Like it is one thing if you're a 30 year old player, you've been playing like 700, like 600, True. 700 plate appearances each season. Like that is, that is different than he hasn't done that. Right. Like I think he, he had, you know, 500 plus plate appearances in 2019 between triple a and MLB. But prior to that, he really hadn't hit 500 even. And, before like after 2015 so I think that there's something to be said for he doesn't have as much wear and tear and the other thing that comes to mind here and I I keep this in mind a lot when I'm drafting players or when I'm looking at players who are exceeding expectations Rob Arthur had this really great piece uh, in baseball prospectus last summer that looked at the fact that um, black and brown players are worth like one plus war more than they're projected to be out of the minors and that's a that's a systemic bias that is built into scouting that is is not to say anything bad about any one team scouts, but that they they project lower when you look at their minor league playing time and their minor league positional and how they're used and a whole bunch of other things than they do when they actually get to the major leagues. Um, and it's a fascinating article. People should go back and read it. I think it was last July or last June, Rob Arthur, Baseball Prospectus, but if, if that's true, then that means that when you're looking at a player who's been undervalued, and, and the one that I always cut, think about with this is, I remember when Juan Soto came up, and Juan Soto just didn't, nobody thought that dude was Ted Williams. Nobody. Nope. I, I was I listened to a lot of fantasy baseball analysts. I read a lot of prospect reports. Everyone missed that Juan Soto yep. was Ted Williams. How did we miss that Juan Soto was Ted Williams, right? And I think that there are some systemic biases built into scouting and into minor league player observation in particular that allow for some of these players to come up and, and, and hit way above their, their projections. Right. And sometimes the league adjusts and figures them out. That's what happened with like a Yermi Mercedes, but sometimes they don't. I'm not saying Rafael Ortega is going to be an all-star. If he kept these numbers up, he would be, but I, I don't think he's going to be, but I think he's good enough to stick at lead off for a Cubs team that just really is quite bad. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that's an interesting. Let's go check out that Rob Arthur article. It's very intriguing. And I could see kind of that because you go to like minor league games and I, I look at guys I'm watching and I'm like, he looks a lot better than I'm reading on, you know, uh, the, the prospect headlines of the of whatever website you want to look at. So it, it is kind of interesting. And the Juan Soto thing is a great point because I made the joke if if Victor Robles was not hurt at that point in time, we never saw Juan Soto. He'd still be in the minor leagues that year. He only came up because Victor Robles was hurt. So let that one sink into to the how the uh, the uh, scouting process takes place there. Another Cub that's getting regular playing time now is Frank Schwindel. He's hit safely now on nine of his two last ten games. Went deep again on uh, Thursday. So the first base from the big boy has got got some pop. What kind of fantasy relevance do you think he holds going forward this year? 
Well, he's going to have a lot of playing time. So he's got <laughs> that going for him. I mean, I think that all of the names that are on this list and I was looking at them, I'm like, well, here's the thing about these Cubs names. Are you excited about Frank Schwindel on your waiver wire? Probably not. But if you need a first baseman who's going to get playing time, who is not rostered in a lot of places, he's got that, right? Like he is going to be a guy who's going to get a lot of playing time. I think he's less exciting than like an Ortega because he doesn't have the same upside. I mean, you know, he's got a WRC plus of 92. His rest of season projection has him as a WRC plus of 90. He's in a little bit of a hot streak right now. So if you want to pick him up and take advantage of that because you need somebody at first base, maybe you have Anthony Rizzo sitting on the COVID IL. Go for it. Great idea. I don't think he is as intriguing as a Rafael Ortega, but I think he's going to play. If you you just need playing time, the Cubs have a lot of guys who are probably available who are going to play. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, and I'm, you know, in those deep, deep leagues, I put like dollar bids out on them this last week just because I'm desperate in certain spots so I could see the appeal. But I also wouldn't be shocked if you get like a 10-game hitless streak coming up as well. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Uh, Patrick Wisdom jumped onto the scene with home run after home run after home run, hit the skids as that was definitely not going to be um, sustainable. But again, regular playing time's coming his way. Carlos Marcano uh, asks, please, a lot of Patrick Wisdom talk. So what's your thoughts on Wisdom going forward? Patrick Wisdom is fascinating to me, uh, and not only because the Cardinals let him go for nothing, and now he's hitting home runs for the Cubs, which always makes my day. Um, (laughs) I I actually think that Patrick Wisdom's power is real, and I think his power is also underrated. I don't think he's going to hit home runs at at the pace he did at the start. I think he hit like eight home runs in 10 games or something ridiculous at the very start, and that's not coming, right? But since then... He's hit nine home runs in 50 games. He's leading all rookies in the NL in home runs. He hit another one today, and I think he has 17 and just over 200 plate appearances, if I'm recalling correctly. So Patrick Wisdom can rake. The problem with Patrick Wisdom is that Patrick Wisdom strikes out a lot. Patrick Wisdom strikes out, I want to say, more than 35% of the time. I, I got just, 38% right yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> He <laughs> strikes good. out. A lot. Now, he has improved his walk rate a little bit. He is now walking close to 9% of the time, which is much better than he had projected to be. But he, he's not a guy who is going to be your on-base solution, right? He is a guy who is going to hit a lot of bombs for you. And if you're lucky, there will be another Cub on base when he hits those bombs, which will get him some RBIs. He is a he's a very unidimensional player from a fantasy perspective in that in that way he's also going to play a ton he's been playing at third base he's played a little bit of outfield you know David Ross is kind of trying out his best Joe Madden and using guys all over the place there was a day um, a couple weeks ago where I think the Cubs had an outfield that was all third baseman and Patrick Wisdom joked about it before the show because they should punch him surplus third baseman who happened to be playing that day and so it was all third baseman in the outfield Patrick Wisdom's going to play. He's going to play at first. He's going to play at third. He's going to probably get some positional flexibility, which can help you out. If you need home runs, pick him up. When Acuna went down, I picked up Patrick Wisdom because I knew he was going to play and I knew he was going to hit bombs. That obviously doesn't replace Ronald Acuna Jr., but it was better than I could do with anybody else in terms of the playing time that was on the waiver wire. And no one was going to ever replace Ronald Acuna Jr. So you got to do what you got to do. So it makes sense. I like him. It's funny. He's literally almost a two true outcome person. So it's it's pretty impressive that forty percent near forty percent K rate and the old days where that was frowned upon is not does not exist anymore. So that's that's pretty impressive. 
I have to ask you about Ian Happ. Like, if you want to talk about, about guys that are out producing Cody Bellinger on the year, Ian Happ is hitting buck seventy five with eleven home runs on the year. But um, it's been rough. Like, I had high hopes for Happ this year. I know it's not the only one. You've you've paid attention to him at least, or watched him a lot more than I have. What do you think it is, and is this this fixable? Will the real Ian Happ please stand up? I'm I'm going to make a Cubs blogger friend of mine real upset right now because Michael Sarami is the OG original Ian Happ cheerleader, and we've talked about this a lot. And he actually came on my podcast at the start of this season, and we were both pretty stoked about Ian Happ. 26-year-old switch hitter, had just come off a real strong 2019. Um, Since Ian Happ got hit, like, close to his eye last September, he has not been the same guy. Uh, he was, he went from being on a, you know, dark horse MVP pace to being just very not good. And the biggest thing that I've seen in his numbers was that his ground ball rate was just through the roof. So he still hits the ball really hard. He's still capable of generating a lot of hard contact. He's just hitting the ball straight into the ground. And he's not, that, that's a recipe for a lot of double plays. Um, it just hasn't, I, I just looked his WRC plus on the season is 69. Uh, if you own Ian Happ in a league where it's like a dynasty league or something, the good news for you is that he's going to get a lot of time to work it out. I don't think the Cubs want to part ways with Ian Happ without seeing if he can be the guy who came back in 2019. But this is the other red flag with Ian Happ is this is the second time that he's really struggled at the MLB level. If you remember, he came up, he was great. And then he really struggled. They sent him back to AAA for most of 2019. They brought him up in August or 2018. I don't remember. I'm getting my years mixed up here. They brought him up again. He was great. Then he struggled. I I don't know that Ian Happ is ever going to be the guy who can sustain the peak levels that we want him to be uh, for where he to be super useful and rosterable in a fantasy league. And I honestly think that most of the names we've talked about so far will probably give you better production for the rest of 2021, even though that pains me. That hurts. That hurts. You're probably right. Obviously right. But that hurts because he's going to have such high hope and expectations for him. So that's, that's a big bummer. Uh, let's talk about the bullpen. We talked about Kimbrell getting traded earlier. Tapera's gone. Chafin's gone. Um, it looks like Rowan Wick is back from the IL now. Do you see him being the closer? You wrote down Manny Manny Rodriguez as a, a player of interest. If you look at roster resource on Fangraphs, it's Wick, Hewer, and Rodriguez are all three listed as closer. So how do you see this one playing out the rest of the year, even though, you, like you said earlier, there might not be a lot of chances to begin with? I think that, so it's funny that this is coming up now because I actually was asked this question at the start of the season, sort of the like, if Kimbrell gets traded, who's the closer? And Wick was my answer. I had no idea when I made when I said that that his oblique injury was going to linger into August. I mean, he was on the IL forever. But Wick got closing opportunities for a team that was contending in 2019 and 2020. He looked really good. When Kimbrell was struggling, Wick was the guy that the Cubs went to. Um, I think as long as he's healthy, he is the guy who's going to hold down the bullpen for right now. Manny Rodriguez did get a save opportunity. I I, I want to say it was like the day before Wick came back, or it might've been the same day. And so there may be some confusion with people wondering what's going on there. I think it's probably just David Ross being careful with Rowan Wick since he was on the IL for so long. Um, he's a real interesting pitcher. He's got some velocity. He's also given up a couple of home runs and does not seem to be, he doesn't seem to be like quite there yet in terms of lockdown bullpen situations. But frankly, 
I don't see the Cubs having a lot of save opportunities to take. So if you're really desperate for one or two save opportunities, I think that my order of picking people up would be Wick, then Rodriguez, then Hewer. Uh, I have Wick in the Glarf, the Great Lakes area Roto Fantasy League, and I picked him up a couple of weeks um, before he was coming back just because I didn't want somebody else to swipe him, and I figured he was probably good for four or five saves, and that might be a difference maker for me in that league just to jump one or two spots before the end of the season. Uh, I tried to pick up Wick in other leagues that I was in, and he was already gone. So Wick is Wick is my favorite out of those options, but if Wick is gone, check out Manny Rodriguez. You might get a save or two just on accident. Uh, John Dobos asks, do you foresee Wick being the closer going into next season, or do you see the Cubs maybe doing something else? I think Wick's the closer going into next season. The only other thing they could do that would be really interesting, and he would be a year early, and they have higher hopes for him, so I don't think that this is going to happen. Braylon Marquez is a super live arm who was really intriguing to me. He's a lefty who throws 97, but he's been hurt most of the season. He actually made his MLB debut last September against the White Sox. And if you go back and watch that, I, I, I would go back and watch that start. I would not go look at the numbers from that start because the numbers from that are bad. <laughs> but the the actual results, it actually wasn't a start. He came in out of the bullpen, I think. But anyway, the actual results from the inning, um, look worse than what actually happened in the inning. It was one of these situations where he got two quick outs and then there was a pass ball and then there was a air and then there was a ball that got thrown away. And like before you knew it, the thing kind of spiraled and the White Sox scored a bunch of runs and he wound up looking not great. Um, but the stuff is live and the arm is great. I don't think that the Cubs will bring him up in a bullpen situation because they're not contending. So they have an incentive to le- let him get better in double A, throw as much as he can in triple A, and then bring him up along with their competitive timeline in like 2023, as opposed to risking anything by giving him major league experience in 2022. But Braylon Marquez is another real interesting um, name in their system who uh, I, if you're in a super deep league, you're looking to stash some guys who might be interesting in a couple of years. He's, he's one that I like. Always like a little deep league stash for those dynasty players out there. Uh, last name we have written down here is Robinson Chirinos, who's going to get some regular playing time with Wilson Contreras' knee sprain. They say the knee sprain shouldn't be that bad, but why rush him back? What are you doing? So you interested in Chirinos uh, for the next few weeks? Uh, if you need playing time and you don't have somebody else on the waiver wire that you're looking at, I, I should you know preface this by saying I actually just picked up Jan Gomes in a league that I'm in I where like I have Jan Contreras. Gomes. Because I figure Jan Gomes is a better backstop there uh, and probably has higher offensive upside. But Trinos has been good. He's gonna we're gonna get to see what he gets to do with playing time. And he has been the only I think he is the sixth or seventh backup catcher that the Cubs have brought up this season. The backup catcher spot for the Cubs has been like cursed since they let Victor Caratini go as part of the U Darvish deal, which again, three years of Victor Caratini, and you're just like, ah oh, no, we don't need that. Like He's really such a good catcher, too. Are you uh, sure? Because I think you do. I think you do need that. Um Robinson Torinos is going to get playing time and Robinson Torinos is not terrible at a position that oftentimes is terrible for offense. So if you need some at bats there and he's available on your waiver wire, pick him up for the next two weeks and then drop him when Contreras gets healthy. All right. Last listener question we have here from J dub the gamer. He asks with Morel on the horizon, what do we expect from David Bodie his playing time in 2022 injuries have not helped his trade stock and they're not short on infield types. Yeah, that's a real great question. I think that, so I actually wrote a piece a couple of seasons ago when the Cubs were doing the whole 
Addison Russell, David Bodie, and uh, Daniel Descalso platoon at second base, where I was like, this is maybe the worst second base situation in MLB. And and it, it was atrocious. I mean, it was like a negative war situation. Then at that point in time, David Bodie was the only guy who was hitting at like a league average sometimes. Um, he is not doing that anymore. Now, is it possible that Bodie has some lingering shoulder issues and he comes back in 2022 and everything is great. Yes. I know that the team likes him a lot. I know that they like his defense. They like his process. They like the way that he approaches the game. They did get an extension done with him a couple of years ago. I think next year is the last year of that deal. So they'll probably hang on to him. He's a cheap solution for them at second base rather than going out to try to find somebody else. But there are some guys knocking on the door there, I think Morella is one of them. I think Nico Horner is another one, although Nico probably slots over to shortstop now that Javi is not in the system. It'll be interesting to see if they try to sign a shortstop. There are a lot of good shortstops on the market, including Javier Baez, going into 2022. That then could that would move Nico over to second. And I think that Morel might find himself caught just not having playing time because if Nico is healthy and you have an actual shortstop, um, Bodie probably is the guy who loses out there. He becomes like your utility player and Nico gets the bulk of that playing time. They have every incentive to let Nico develop as much as he can in a season where they're not going to contend. And you even have Nico, you even have a Nick Madrigal they just traded for. Oh, right. Yes. Probably not, probably not back this year, but second baseman hits for good average, not a lot of power, go with speed. So Another interesting uh, piece of the pie for the Yeah, for sure. I totally forgot that they turned Craig Kimbrell into Nick Madrigal. Yeah, Matt Madrigal is definitely going to get some second base looks as well. So I don't know. Yeah. Morel might be blocked. It's going to be interesting. Very, very, very interesting. But uh, Sarah, I think that'll wrap us up for this episode. It's been an absolute blast. Um, before we head out, uh, plug everything you're doing for, between the, your Cubs work, your Fangraphs work, everything. Yeah, so most of my stuff is on my Twitter account, at BCB underscore Sarah, no H on the Sarah. And if you follow that, you will see almost everything because I retweet and blast it. But if you're interested in the Cubs side of things, I write at bleedcubbyblue.com, which is the SB Nation uh, Cubs community. I also host their podcast that has a Twitter account as well, at Cup of Cubby Blue. And you basically get to hear all of this, except it's like all Cubs stuff. I don't know. We do like 10% not Cubs stuff when other stuff happens. Um, and then, of course, my work at Fangraphs, which is at Fangraphs. <laughs> Well, it's awesome stuff you're doing. It's been great getting to kind of follow you from a distance to get to know you that way and now getting to chat with you. So I've had a great time uh, uh, talking Cubs and baseball with you, and I look forward to doing it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a total blast. Well, thanks again. Uh, everybody, make sure you follow her on Twitter at BCB underscore Sarah with no H. But this was Bench with Bubba, episode 393. Catch you guys later. Bye.